Look at my butt. Show number 252 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. Hey, everybody, it's summertime, at least here in Chicago, finally. And it's it's almost summertime here in California. It's, <laughs> uh, today, it's 64 degrees, and in two days, it's going to be 94 degrees. So <laughs> this is just the way it goes. Yeah, yeah this is... This is climate change, which really doesn't exist. So, you know, we can ignore <laughs> it. We can ignore all these changes. This is true. This just is wear true. whatever the hell we want because <laughs> it doesn't matter. Well, we've got a bunch of news to talk about, mm-hmm. um, bill-related stuff, and a book review, which is going to be uh, very interesting. And I think maybe we'll we'll do that in the second half because I have a lot to say about this oh, book. Oh, okay. We'll build up yeah, to it. Um, so uh, let's start off with some nice topical things. I believe you wanted to talk about television and talk about yes, a television time. review. Um, last week or within the past two weeks was the final episode, Never Coming Back, of Once Upon a Time. And I've talked about it a little bit on the show every mm-hmm. now and then. It was a show with just an incredibly fan ficky premise if you were a big fan of fairy tales. And they, you know, they ran with it. I mean, ran with it. It got crazy. (laughs) But it was always fun. It had some good actors. It was hammy. Um, But this last season, they switched locales and most of the actors left. And it was like, I watched three episodes. I'm going to hate this. So I didn't watch it. Oh, sad. Yeah. But the finale came up and, you know, I knew they were going to be back in the original locale. And uh, I thought, you know, this show is so ridiculous that I, I'm sure I can watch this without knowing anything about what happened in the past year. And because uh-huh. I just want to see it wrap up, see what they came up with. And so I did watch it. And yes, I had a pretty good time. But here's the thing. I, I uh, later, of course, reading online, uh, found out some people were quite upset by this. But uh, once upon a time has my respect for doing this. Um, spoiler, if anybody watches this show, <laughs> um, Rumpelstiltskin, who, I always forget this actor's name, but I like him a lot. And he was so good playing fairy tale Rumpelstiltskin and his counterpart in modern day, who was named Mr. Gold. He was just mm-hmm. so perfect. Well, and he's been evil, you know, pretty much through the whole series, you know, always kind of maybe making you think he might get redeemed. And then he just slides back, you know, that's been his whole thing. Well, you know, at, at the end or towards the end, he sacrificed himself hmm. to save everyone else. Wow. And I mean, it was, it was death. You know, you're dead now. You're gone. You have no more powers. It's over. And what I respect them for was they didn't go, oh, no, you know, the, the, the evil queen who's now a good queen has enough power to bring him back or anything. They did not undercut that sacrifice. Wow. And I, as you know, that's one of my big things about heroes mm-hmm. is the hero pays a price. And that is the price. There's no bargaining with it. There's no returning it to the store. It's like, you got to do this. And that was one of my big things was I thought Harry Potter was a cheat at the end. Um, Yep. Yep. 
and this, I thought, well, good, because I, I love that actor. I loved what he did with the character, and he had a wonderful uh, speech, you know, about mm-hmm. what he, you know, what he was going to do, you know, why he wanted to do it and everything, because, you know, he had to tell somebody. Anyway, um, and then he did, and it was like, okay, don't cheapen this. Let him, let him be dead. And they did. That's so unusual. Um, you know, I, I think, un- unfortunately, the trend in almost all media, especially on television, is that the characters have to come back, that nobody is ever really, really dead. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's so pervasive that, I, for me, it just draws a lot of the drama out of anything that you happen to be watching. If a mm-hmm. dies, either accidentally or on purpose, you're like, uh, they're coming back. I can't get too worked up about this. Right. And it's... <laughs> I wish that they would be brave enough to do what you were just describing is to just Mm -hmm. say, no, we're actually going to kill this character off and have them be really dead. And, you know, I understand it was the the finale. So that kind of um, was a natural opportunity to do Mm -hmm. it. It would be nice if, if that kind of dramatic decision would be made and stick more often. Right. Especially in science fiction and fantasy type of shows. Yes. Yes. You know, that reset button I know is so tempting mm-hmm. but um so especially when when the the creators are so much more likely these days to bow to fan pressure right rather than making an independent creative decision they're you know kind of worried like oh if we kill this character off are people gonna get really really <sighs> upset about it yeah and there's just a little too much of that going on um, did i send you the article earlier this week about toxic fandom i don't think so it's not oh, on my list wow i should have because now I'm forgetting who the the guy is, but you know he wrote for some series. He was the showrunner, and you know got just tons and tons and tons of hate mail for what he did with the characters. And now he is going to be doing another show, um, an adaptation of a series of books that everybody loves. And he says, you know, I I'm ready for it. I wish I wish they could just open themselves up to. What are we going to do? And he was saying, but, you know, some people really sort of knuckle under to that. And it makes it really uncomfortable, really, you know, not a, a it's be, it had become a big negative about mm-hmm. writing things based on popular fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I get that. And I, I would also say, now I'm just thinking about what I just said. Um, I, I would actually now take some of that off of the writers and put it more on the networks. Yes. Because I think they're the ones exerting the pressure. Like they see what is going on in social media and what mm-hmm. fans are saying. And they're the ones who are saying to the writers, hey, listen, this character that was making us a lot of money and bringing us a lot of viewers, bring them back. We think that exactly. would be a good idea. Yep. Yeah, so it, I, I don't think it's so much the writers caving directly to pressure from people. Mm-hmm. It, it's the, kind of the roundabout way where yes. it's the network first. Um, and that's why I am always wary of getting invested in one of these serial shows as opposed to episodic. Because mm-hmm. they may start out with some idea. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the minute Fonzie shows up and gets a ton of fan mail, it's like, okay, 
we're not doing that show anymore. We're we're doing the Focus on Fonzie show. You know exactly. Yeah. yeah. One of the shows that um, I I need to catch up on, but which I feel has dealt with all of this in a really interesting way, is one of the uh, DC shows on the CW that's called Legends of Tomorrow. Uh-huh. And I feel it's a pretty popular show, but I feel like because the CW is such a weird dysfunctional network, like they don't really <laughs> give a shit about their shows very much, and they don't, they don't give a lot of they, yeah they don't give a lot of notes to their creators and writers so it's a science fiction fantasy type of show Mm -hmm. and they've done the thing where they've killed off some characters permanently which has Mm -hmm. been good but they've also been able to kill off some characters but bring them back because they came from like a different timeline or a parallel universe but it's not the same character like it's played by the same actor and it's kind of the same but they have different personalities and different motivations and Mm -hmm. they interact differently and I like that I think that it's a nice way of bringing the character back but but with a different perspective so it's not just resurrecting the same person Mm -hmm. who happened to get killed off six episodes ago well it's like you're gonna do it it's a good way to do it (laughs) it's like when Starbuck came back on Mm -hmm. um Galactica she was out for I think a full two seasons after disappearing and presumably being killed but you were never sure what she had turned into because Mm -hmm. it was never revealed where she had been and she didn't really know Mm -hmm. so it was kind of like that's sort of you know it's kind of like Gandalf becoming Gandalf the white yeah, you know, 2.0. You want to do yeah. different. That's good. You know, I, I have to say, now that I'm thinking about it in terms of Star Trek, the um, the biggest press the reset button would have been in Amok Time, right? It was like so dramatic, so, so, so dramatic. And we all thought Kirk was dead. And then the reset button was basically him just walking out of sick bay, like pulling his shirt down and grinning and being like, I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> But you know what you got to appreciate about that is it wasn't a, oh, gosh, McCoy just discovered, you know, magical con blood or something. It was in the in within the context of the episode. It's like, okay, I got to give you some triox because you Mm -hmm. can't even breathe here. And he thought, oh, yeah, now Kirk's going to come back and win this. Mm -hmm. And, And then it turned out McCoy pulled a fast one, which was a great win for McCoy. It was. And it made dramatic sense. And they didn't tip their hand to the viewers this is correct yeah it was amazingly well done for that episode but Mm -hmm. uh, it just of course it would be kirk who you know doesn't have a dramatic resurrection he just walks out of sick bay right right (laughs) (laughs) here i am i'm okay it's fine everything's good (laughs) well he's kirk (laughs) of course of course that's his thing it's his thing well, thank you very much for that summary. That was good. Uh, if, oh. if listeners, if you saw it and you had other things about that finale that you liked, let us know. Or hated. Or hated, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're equal opportunity, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so let's see. Um, we've got a bunch of different things to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. I, I want to professionally uh, weigh in on this article that you sent me today about um, – Alien languages might not be that different from ours. Yes, I, well, I sent it to you for a reason. I want to know what your thoughts are about this. It's bullshit, pretty much. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, Here's my main problem with it, and it relates to something that we talked about before, which was how good um, Arrival was. 
the, the type of language we saw in Arrival is likely to be much closer to anything that we encounter, just different mm-hmm. and uh, not to be too spot on, but really alien, right? Not yes. like we're used to thinking. The reason I think that, that this particular thing is sort of bullshit is because it's Noam Chomsky who's saying it. Mm-hmm. And um, I have huge problems with him in general as a linguist because the type of work that he's done in linguistics, aside from his very early work, which was really interesting and groundbreaking in some ways, is that almost all of the major things that he's developed have pretty much been based on English, which is a really oh. stupid way to do your linguistics. Like, <laughs> yeah. to, to assume that like English is, is a normal language and, and represents all languages mm-hmm. and also has universals in it that other languages share. It's like, come on, buddy, yeah. look outside your world. And I know that people have done more work on it, but um, I, I think assuming that there could be any kind of consistencies between alien life forms and human brain thinking cognition is really going out on a limb. Well, that's you know? what I thought, but you know, I don't know the the ins and outs of you know language development, and yeah. that's well, why I go to an expert. <laughs> The, the only reason that our, that we're able to talk to each other as humans is because <laughs> we're humans, you know, like we all yes. have brains and we're kind of made from the same stuff. And our language communication with other animals really only goes as far as our DNA and the fact that we all come from the same planet. So it's really a stretch, I think, to say that other languages would be in any way, shape, or form like ours. And well, honestly, even on the same planet, we can't, with all the contact we have with the animals on this planet, mm-hmm. especially dogs, you know, that mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have to go to the bottom of the ocean to, you know, talk to a dog. We still don't really understand how they communicate. We've learned to interpret a few things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we can't understand porpoise language, but we're pretty sure they have one. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. No, I I, I totally agree. I, I was going to bring up, let me get really philosophical for a minute. Okay. Um, but, um, you know, Wittgenstein, the great philosopher, mm-hmm. uh, said wow. that if a lion could speak, like speak English, we couldn't understand it. And I, I feel that like that is so true. The way other beings on our planet have a view of the world is so oh. different from our own that they could, if they could use our language, their concepts and their point of view and, and just the way that they perceive and understand the world is so very different from ours that we, we yeah. couldn't understand what they were trying to convey. So I think that's really true. Well, and you, you know, think about in like, um, Watership Down. Yeah. I mean, those rabbits are, you know, speaking English. But one of the great things about that book, I thought, was it was very much in the rabbit's world mm-hmm. and how they were interpreting things. And that what I read, The Bees, did, did I get you to read that? I have not read it. Oh, man, that was really something. Because first of all, I learned a lot about bees. But, you know, <laughs> secondly, it was this, I mean, it was a story, Um and, you know, about how the bee world works. And as they explain things, I went, oh, yeah, well, I know what that is. But the bees didn't, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's we should not expect it to be the same. Um, so in this article, which is at uh, CNET.com, they do, I thought, uh, present some really good, I don't want to say opposing viewpoints, but different viewpoints. Okay, um, counter-arguments. Yeah, counter-arguments <laughs> who just say, uh, you know, you know what? Probably not. Um, let's see, he's... This guy, Professor um, Emeritus Gonzalo Munavar from the Lawrence Technological University, um, presented his argument that there's more reason for pessimism when it comes to communicating with ET. He argues that there are plenty of examples on Earth of different species evolving different brains that work in different ways. Right. Just as physical examples, um, some moths can see ultraviolet light, some snakes can see heat, and certain fish perceive electric fields. So he says, an intelligent creature whose main sensory modality is, say, electric rather than visual would have <laughs> patterns of thought completely foreign to us. Right. There's no reason to expect similar scientific languages or math to emerge on any distant exoplanets. So that's that's where I sit in this. Um, okay. But that's all cool, you know, like, sure, it's challenges and stuff, but it can only be good for us to be exposed to other viewpoints than our own. Right. And, you know, to try to... I don't know, sort of simplify the challenge or, or make it into, don't worry about it. We're going to, you know, it, it'll it be cool. We'll, we'll figure it out or something. It's like, really? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I have enough faith in us as a species that when we do finally encounter whatever life happens to be out there, you know, we'll, we'll do it. It'll happen. And I think we can be successful at it because we are capable of some pretty amazing things, you know, despite everything that's happening right now at this moment in time. Yes, absolutely. I remain optimistic. Well, sometimes it's very hard for me to remain optimistic right now, but, um, you know, I read some things that are a little more encouraging, and mm-hmm. we'll just we'll just see. The thing is, the, what? Let's not get political. I won't go into. <laughs> I mean, I won't go into my worries. We could talk all all night about that. So, want to move on to something fun? Let's talk about the Star Trek theme park that they're thinking about oh. doing. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I just have that to wasn't have my it. idea of the fun topic, but go with it. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I'm reading this article um, about it, and it says that they're considering having a Star Trek theme park in Orlando, right? Mm-hmm. Now, when we were at Silicon Valley Comic Con, didn't they say that they were thinking about making a Lord of the Rings theme park in Orlando? Like, yeah, well, Orlando's, or, or... Orlando's theme park world, you know, pretty soon all of mid-Florida, you know, oh. north to south is going to be... Fantasy land, you know. But that would be so. It's I guess it's possible that there could be both. Why not both? They could Mm -hmm. have a a Lord of the Rings one and a Star Trek one. That would be pretty wacky. Mm -hmm. See, I would absolutely go and do both of those things for many, many days. (laughs) I know you would. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if it would be like the Star Trek experience that we went to in Las Vegas, or whether it would be. I don't know, more ride oriented. Honestly, I haven't been to any of the experiences at right. um, like Universal in California or in Orlando. So I don't know what they're like on the inside. Well, you know what? One of the things I liked about the Star Trek experience that we did in Vegas is it was small enough that you could do it in an afternoon. Yeah. And this idea that, you know, you're going to go live there for your two weeks vacation or whatever. <laughs> 
And it's like, no, I can't. I can't do that. I mean, Disney World wears me out, you know, Mm -hmm. and I don't just mean physically. I mean, the assault on the senses and and that whole worldview. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can't take it. I agree. (laughs) I totally agree. And I'm not a ride person. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't really like rides. (laughs) Well, I, I just, I wonder, I mean, I guess if it's a theme park, they'd have to have some things that are rides because that's mm-hmm. what people expect. Some kind of like really fast fucking roller coaster or something yeah. like that. But it, it would also be great if they had things like they had at the experience, right? Where you could walk through and feel like you're there. Yeah. And, you know, you go on a little mission and you get to sneak around corners and you get incoming mm-hmm. transmissions and stuff like that would be good if they could manage to do that in a way that felt pretty immersive. Mm-hmm. I think that would be awesome. You know what theme park I would go to? Yes. Galaxy Quest. <laughs> because I want to be on the ship when they pull it out of space time. That would be the best. Oh my God. I would, yes. I, you know, yes, definitely. Most definitely. I would do that. I, I vote for that 100% over the Star Trek theme park. Oh, good idea. Such a Thank good idea. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Anyway, that's all. So this article, which is at, uh, where the hell is this? Comicbook.com. All it says is that they're considering it. There's no actual news in here other than we're considering this. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, all right. Well, you know, we'll be dead before that happens. Maybe. Who knows? Probably. Who knows? Okay. What, what is your fun thing? What is the fun thing? I think that Lord of the Rings, (laughs) what the plot of the new series could be. Some of them are interesting and some of them made me laugh so hard. Mm -hmm. Um, This is an article, a speculative article at a site called winteriscoming.net. So you know where their heads are at. (laughs) Yeah, the Game of Thrones. But um, it was, I think it's 13. um, Yeah, 13 Mm -hmm. ideas for what the, it's HBO, isn't it going to do this? Amazon. Oh, right. Amazon, what their Lord of the Rings series could be. Now, this goes way outside those rules that we learned about, Mm -hmm. rules, (laughs) at (laughs) Silicon Valley Comic Con. But, um, you know, most of them are prequels. But I got to tell you, the one I laughed so hard over, and I want them to do it, but just as like a half-hour show every now and then, is the Tom Bombadil show. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Can you even imagine that? Well, they opened it with that little quote about his jacket's green and his shoes are yellow. And I went, oh, my God. This is like kids' TV when I was growing up, like, you know, Bozo the Clown and, and those things. And Captain Kangaroo, and I thought... He could, he, they could have puppets, oh, you know, puppets. and he, his friends could drop by and, oh. you know, we get to know all the different things in his house, you know, like Captain Kangaroo had grandfather clock, which I was fascinated by. And <laughs> it would just be Lord of the Rings, this one little focus, this nice, fun area. Uh-huh. Oh my god. I would you know, puppets would be really good. <laughs> you're saying it. I'm thinking about puppets and I'm also thinking that it could be sort of like Tom Bombadil in Pee Wee's Playhouse where like yes! the furniture talks and stuff. Exactly. That would be, that would be so good. 
the, the comment here in the article says, so for his own show, let him do what he does best. The Tom Bombadil show would be a musical variety hour. Featuring <laughs> exactly. And Mary today songs. we have a very special guest. Bilbo is going to read us poetry. That's right. That's right. <laughs> There'll be chats with forest critters, and each episode will end with a sweet duet between Bombadil and his wife, Goldberry. Oh, yes. God. That and would Goldberry's be amazing. Goldberry's a puppet. I'm thinking of, like, you know, when Paul Winchell had the Jerry Mahoney yes, Jerry Jerry Mahoney show, and Sherry Lewis, everybody on the show other than, you know, Sherry Lewis or Paul, Mahon- Paul Winchell, were it's puppets. Puppets. Puppets is the way to go. I love it. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm on board. I'm on board with Tom Bombadil and puppets. I think that would be really good. Um, a lot of the other ideas in this article are actually things we talked about and mm-hmm. things that they had brought up in that panel. So, you know, it's about Numenor. There's some stuff about Gondolin. It's the first age or the second age. It's talking, you know, Rohan stories, Arwen and Aragorn stories. It's just so rich. There's so much. Baron and Luthien. Yes, yes. Yep, yeah. yep. They could do all of that. So, so many possibilities that they could pull from and... Um, in talking with other people about this, um, I think the general consensus is that they really need to mix it up. So they could do a whole one season that's an overarching story, and then mm-hmm. they should have another season where it's simply episodic, and you just see little stories oh, in chunks. yeah, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. You know, if they've really got five years to play with, don't do a five-year o- overarching story. Like, just don't yeah. make it different do as much different variety as you could possibly have in there that would be so much more interesting yeah well when i read you know like i said the the title of the tom bombadil show made me laugh so hard <laughs> but the other one that made me laugh and i just hadn't thought of it this way was the when they called it young aragorn that's the <laughs> yes. show name and all i could think of was that cbs show young sheldon which you know they have a little kid playing the sheldon character from big bang theory and uh jim parsons who plays grown-up sheldon Mm -hmm. does the voiceover you know introducing it like wonder years did and everything Mm -hmm. and oh my god i'm just trying to think what (laughs) old aragorn who's now king of wherever um you know, would be telling us about his youth. And, you know, and then there's this, you know, little kid, young Aragorn. <laughs> it, would know, be, it, would, it would be Aragorn. Being raised by Elrond and the elves. <laughs> really? He's going to, so Aragorn, as part of his kingly duties in Gondor, he has to go to, like, the kindergarten classes and tell them. <laughs> Like when I was your age, here's what I did because I wasn't always a king. You see, I always knew I was going to be king, but I like I haven't had this crown my whole life. Believe it or don't, I was once like you. I was just a small child out in the world. Now, granted, I lived in a very rich and beautiful place with lots of elves, and you will never have that. But it was it was still you know it was me. I was a little kid, and here's what happened. And then the kids are all like rolling their eyes. Yeah, do some magic tricks. I hate career day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, that would make such a great story to to do a series of these. You know each. Lord of the Rings character, Star Trek character, whatever, goes to career day. Oh, my God. And has God. to talk to these kids. <laughs> that would be so funny. Oh, that would be great. I feel like Aragorn would be really bad at that. I don't know. Oh, I think yeah. Like, you know, Gimli would be good. He, he, would <laughs> he be can much hardly more... handle talking to hobbits. <laughs> oh, 
yeah, Aragorn doing career day. Yeah. yeah. That, that oh, would Gimli, really the kids be. would only want to hear about the axe. Of course. Show me the axe. Can I hold the axe? Oh, yeah. you know? How much gold do you have? And then he'd be like <laughs> telling them, well, if you really want to know how much I have, and he'd go through his inventory like he's got it written all down, right? I have exactly this many emeralds and I have exactly this many sapphires. <laughs> oh, and um, 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 who's the elf? What's his name? Legolas. Legolas, yeah. He would like bound in all elf-like <laughs> and expect them all to love him. And yes. they're like totally not impressed. <laughs> and he's not the prettiest one in the room because there's these little girls. <laughs> it would be shattering. He'd end up, you know, in the corner in tears. Oh, you know, it would be hilarious though. I would love to see all the little kids asking him about like his superpowers and, <laughs> and just pelting him with these questions, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. is it true you can run on snow? It's like, yes, <laughs> I can run on snow. It's like, can your elf eyes really see on the other side of the world? No, I can see a long way, but I can't see all the way. It's like, can you do magic? Can you? <laughs> no, I can't actually do magic. Wait, can you do this? Can you outrun the fastest horse? It went in a, in a race between you and Shadowfax, who would win? And he's like, can we talk about something else now? <laughs> And they're just asking him all these ridiculous questions. Oh, you know what else I would love to see is Sauron. Just this, <laughs> this big eye. And he gets so fed up with the kids, you know, that he, he zaps them. He kills the whole class or something. Oh, my God. That would be great. Okay. Okay. This okay is so funny. that's what the new Lord of the Rings series should be is yes. career day. Career day. And in Middle I, Earth. <laughs> I just like the producers to know that you and I are completely available to write those episodes. So um, please, you know, at me and we'll, we'll get that going. No problem. I would love um, that. <laughs> it would be good. It would be so good. Okay. I would um, love that more than the little old lady who saves the world. <laughs> oh, Sauron's would be the last one because that would be it. They wouldn't do it anymore after that. Whoops. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Let's talk about William Shatner. I, okay. William Shatner is really good. He's an actor and he's been in Star Trek and um, I like him a lot. I think he's really mm -hmm. good. He's touring right now, as we've mentioned many times on the show, yes. and doing the whole Wrath of Khan thing. Um, this is an article that was at Mashable, and uh, you know what's really funny about this article? It's hmm. called, William Shatner Revisits Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. When they first put it up on the website, that wasn't the title. It was, was called, it? Did Star Trek Peak Too Early? And I immediately clicked over, and I was like, what is he talking about? And then yeah. I, like, oh, I see. Um so, they, yeah, they, they changed the title, maybe too provocative or something. But um, it's a pretty good article. It, it unfortunately doesn't talk too much about what Bill's doing with his touring act right now, which was yeah. um, a little disappointing. It's more of an opinion piece by this this author whose name is uh, Pete uh, Packle, I guess, or Pashal, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, and he's just talking about... Uh, you know, the history of Star Trek and about the importance of Wrath of Khan. I feel it, it's really weird for him to say that Star Trek peaked with Wrath of Khan and that was too early because that doesn't seem early to me at all. No. It's like saying, you know, Star Trek peaked with Space Seed and then everything else was kind of mediocre. Like, mm -hmm. well, you know, Wrath of Khan came pretty late in the whole Star Trek universe thing. Yes. Yeah. So um, that's a little weird, but it's, it's a pretty good article. And mm -hmm. just it through, is. Yeah. Um, 
the history and how the movie came to be and some stuff about the reboots and um, he talks a little bit about what Bill's doing right now and his acting history since then but as I said um, I, I wish there had been a little more about what's actually happening on this tour I haven't read yes. many in-depth reviews of the the tour like I've read interviews with Bill right he's because he's done all the right. press saying yes I'm doing it, but nobody's actually talking about the event itself so I I would like to know what's what's going on what's happening I, I would too and totally off topic but I just figured out why you never got the article I think I sent you uh-huh. <laughs> is because I decided to get more organized and I had a bunch of articles I was storing in a special place and I know where it is but I never sent them to you. Oh, okay. So we already have half the show outline for next time. Okay, good. That's okay. that's always good. Good. <laughs> anyway. Um, let's see. So uh, I'm just skimming through the rest of it. And, you know, Bill talked a little bit, I guess, about how it came to be. Uh, and he, the author of this article, just kind of wraps up by saying, you know, it's Star Trek still going strong. They look fondly mm-hmm. on Wrath of Khan, but they're always excited about the new stuff that's happening. Well, yeah, you know. Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, I'm just skimming it to see if there's there weren't any, like, little gems in here. Oh, yeah. No, Bill didn't talk about sex or, <laughs> you know. You know, he watching talk- Wrath of Khan is like sex. <laughs> Bill would be the first one to tell you that. Actually, talking about Wrath of Khan is probably, like, career day for him. <laughs> I was in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> it was a long time ago. I really don't remember anything about it. Yes. <laughs> I had to watch the movie to figure out what was going on because Right. And I didn't like looking at myself because I was yeah. very young. Because I was so then. handsome and dazzling. <laughs> Speaking of handsome and dazzling. Yes. This is another thing I gotta follow up on. But as you know, now that I'm getting a free D V R, um, I have it programmed to tape anything William Shatner's in. Mm-hmm. And so I have to periodically, you know, go through the list and get rid of the Star Treks and get rid of the Boston Legals, you know, all those things. But there's some bizarre stuff on my list right now. Oh, good. Excellent. There's one, I think two episodes of Night Gallery. And oh. one is that one we reviewed. Mm-hmm. And then there's some... It looks like a home show or a gardening show or something. And I'm like, what is this? You know, so we shall see. Okay. Take what, lots uh, of notes. What shows up. Yeah. Take lots and lots of notes. I want to know. About yes. It. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, there's one more article that I wanted to mention before we take our little break. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is this thing at Ars Technica, which is by a guy named Sam Ferguson. And it's called uh, A Dozen Years After Near Death, Star Trek's Future May Be Stronger Than Ever. And I thought this was a really good article. It um, was. It was very it, interesting. It's good. It's quite long, um, but it really gets into detail with the history of the shows. So yes. Not, not much about like the characters or anything, but how did the shows come to happen starting from TOS and going through the different um, versions of so the animated and then the, the movies and then TNG and then all the other series that came after it. And it's, it's really good. There's a lot of uh, kind of backstage stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, interesting notes from things that almost happened, uh, some 
other animated things that which I couldn't really remember reading about that there was going to be this thing called um, Star Trek: The Final Frontier in like 2006 that they were pitching. I don't think I knew about that. I don't think I ever heard about that. They have some of the character designs here, which are kind of cool, and it's, mm-hmm. it's very sort of uh, 90s animation, you know, like Batman looking, which is yeah. interesting. And then talking about the reboots and things, and then there's quite a lot of time spent on talking about Discovery here, which is great. Mm-hmm. So it's it's nice. It's, it's a, a very comprehensive article about how things got made and where things might be going, um, and mentions that... Uh, you know, the, the new show has been talked about a lot. Some people really like it. Some people don't like it, but it's... Gen- That's it's, part of the history of Star Trek, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's it's very much in the tradition of all the other Star Treks that it's going to mm-hmm. be divisive. But it seems that because Discovery has been so successful, it's a strong sign to there being more trek coming that's not just retreads of old stuff. Mm-hmm. And people are inspired to create new canon universe series or... Um, you know, uh, dramatic things that, that other producers have talked about, not just reboot stuff, but stuff that's actually in the canon universe. So yes. I, I think that's all really cool. It's very exciting. Um, speaking of Discovery, have you seen uh, the articles past week or two about um, the producers sort of hinting that Spock will appear in yeah, season two? I have and seen that. I read one saying, well, it won't be Quinto. Because CBS and Paramount are fighting again mm-hmm. over who owns what. But they apparently have hinted that they have an explanation for why Spock never mentioned her. And I thought, it's easy. He never mentioned he had a brother either. <laughs> there were a lot of things He's he probably got a banjo picking half-brain <laughs> brother or cousin, you know. I don't have as much of an issue with that. Like, why didn't Spock ever mention this? Or why didn't he ever say that? I mean, mm-hmm. we didn't see every moment of every part of his life and the things that he talked about. You know, maybe mm-hmm. it was a thing that he did talk about, but we just didn't see it because it wasn't relevant. You know, if you want yeah. to go sort of all in-universe on that. I'm hoping they don't come up with some hair-brained way of, you know, explaining it. Mm-hmm. And... um They've they've been doing such a, a good job. I am willing to put my trust in them being able to handle this. But I will admit I am, you know, a little worried about it really edging into TOS, which even though they're saying they're part of the prime timeline, it's still it's still so different. You know? I agree. I I, I if I had my druthers I would say please don't do Spock and mm-hmm. We'll have to see. I, I, you know, I felt like they did a good job last season, and I felt much more confident in their decisions after seeing what they did. Mm-hmm. I, I am still never going to be completely reconciled to. Oh, yeah, this is totally part of the TOS universe. Right. Seamless continuity. Right. It's like, no, that's not actually happening. But well, okay. and the thing that for me made it no, this absolutely is not going to happen. Is Discovery Sarek? Because yes. I can't help it every time he shows up. I think it's Phil from Modern Family. He looks like him. He acts like him. And Phil is a doofus. <laughs> I mean, I love him. He's a great character. But it's like, Sarek, you know. Oh, I, I still think he's like action Elrond to me. That's, <laughs> just, that's all I can think about now. You know, I, I have to say, um, 
I was when I was editing our last show and listening to it, I'd forgotten that we had that long discussion at one point about um, the the fallout from the end of Discovery when they were considering genocide. And then Sarah kind of brushed that under the rug. And I really, really hope that that comes back to bite them in the butt, you know? Yeah. If that never gets dealt with again, if people just forget that they were planning on destroying an entire race Mm -hmm. of people, I'm going to be a little angry about that because it seems like it should be a lot more important and Sarah should feel really bad about agreeing to go along Mm -hmm. Anyway, I just wanted to say that. I had sort of forgotten that that happened and I was like, oh yeah, that was really bad and disturbing. Yeah, it was. It Mm -hmm. was disturbing. Well, let's take a little break. Yes, let's do that. And then we're going to talk about a book. A book, a real book. You read it, you hold it in your hands or read it on an e-reader, whatever your preference (laughs) is. But we will take a little break. We will. Okay. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Listeners, we want to hear from you. Facebook, email, Twitter, whatever you got, send it our way. Look at his butt at gmail.com and show notes at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com. So, listeners, uh, here's a book we're going to talk about, and let me tell you the story of how this book came to be on uh, top of mind. So, you know Amazon, right? Amazon sells. I've books heard of them. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. They had a deal running a couple of weeks ago where if you paid a dollar ninety nine, you got Kindle Unlimited for three months. Which I is signed up really, for it too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really good deal. A lot of people did. I was like, oh, this is good. So when you're on Kindle Unlimited. There are a lot of books that you can get for free. You, you borrow them. You don't actually right. own them. Um, and it's very, like, I don't know what their algorithm is for what gets put on Kindle Unlimited. We've talked about some of the books that I'd gotten through Kindle Unlimited before, and there a lot of them are self-published. A lot mm-hmm. of them are, like, put together by bots, and they don't make any sense. And um, sometimes you get, like, actual books that are in there that they're trying to promote. So it, it's kind of hit or miss. And the first thing I do when I sign up for Kindle Unlimited is I search the keyword Shatner of to course. see what's there. Of course. And this book popped up, and it's called uh, William Shatner, A Transformed Man. And I thought, oh this is new. It's it's published this year. I've never heard of this book before. So I downloaded it and I'm looking at it and I'm looking at the name of the author who I kind of sort of recognize. And his name is Dennis uh, Hauk. I believe it's pronounced. It's Mm -hmm. H-A-U-C-K. And I thought I kind of remember hearing about this. So I start Googling him and I see that he's written another book about Bill called Captain Quirk. Yep. So, so I emailed you and I'm like, what the heck is going on here? And you happen to have a copy of Captain Quirk. And it turns out it's the same book with a new title. Right. Um, but the new version that's called The Transform Man is supposed to be updated. So um, in a future episode, we'll be talking scientifically about just what he means by the word updated. Because, uh, <laughs> gonna, I like it. Yeah, we're going to do some research on that. But um the the guy the guy who wrote this book Dennis Hauk he is uh, a UFO researcher 
Like, do you know that's what his main job? <laughs> right, but do you know what he's written a lot of books on? Alchemy. Alchemy. <laughs> <laughs> Alchemy, UFOs, and William Shatner. This oh, yeah. this guy. It's do you think he's Crazy Pike writing under a pen name? <gasps> it could be. It could well be. I don't know. He didn't seem quite so conspiracy-minded as Crazy Pike. Oh, okay. Um, just sort of benevolently interested. So his claim to fame, and the reason he wrote, wrote a book about Bill at all, was that he helped do that series called Mysteries of the Gods that Bill mm -hmm. had, um, appeared in. And we talked about how hilarious his uh, sartorial choices were and him <laughs> and were. And all the like interesting range of people he talked to, including like real scientists. But then he talked to Gene Dixon. Yeah. End, like, <laughs> Didn't okay. he talk to the Crystal Skull guy? He did talk to the Crystal Skull people. It's true. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so that's why Dennis Houck wrote this because he had, you know, like what, two weeks that he spent with Bill. And then he, I guess he was like, oh, I can make a book out of this. And so he, mm -hmm. he pulled a bunch of other stuff together. So all that is background for this book. If you have Kindle Unlimited, it's free right now. So you could go and get it. I'm not sure that I recommend it. Um, it's, it's a very weird book. And the updated version of it, uh, I would say, has been updated in haste. So as you get towards the end of the book, all of the stuff that Bill's done recently is kind of crammed into the last two chapters. Uh -huh. A lot of it looks like it was maybe copied straight out of Wikipedia. Oh, no! And yeah, it's kind of like, you know, everything up until the first book was published, which was 1995, is, is pretty well, like, written out. And then after that, it's just lists. And, you know, it's like, and then after he did that, he did this, and he did this, and he did this, and he did wow. this, and he did this, and he did this, and with no commentary, just mm -hmm. here's all the stuff that he's done in the last, um, you know, whatever, 20 years or so. So that's a little weird. Um, now, I wanted to ask you, did you ever read this book? I know you have it, but did you yes. read it? Yes, I did read it. And um, my takeaway from it, what I am remembering of it, is um, he had basically pulled together every snarky negative thing he could find about Bill. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, kind of like his knife was out, mm -hmm. you know. That was my main impression. Yeah, um, I think that that's pretty accurate. The book focuses really heavily on all the bad stuff about yes. Bill that you could find. And yes. some of the bad stuff is drawn from the books that Walter and Nichelle and... Um, what and George and what Jimmy Dewan had said and what mm -hmm. other people might have said. So there's a lot of very snarky kind of backbiting stuff. And, and yes. you know, we've talked about a lot of that. And then some of the other bad stuff is straight out of the tabloids. Like if you look at his references, he is literally quoting from like the National Enquirer and the Star, mm. which does not give you a lot of confidence in some of the things that he's saying. Yes. You know? like really you're quoting from tabloids for some of these stories about it so it's like uh um i wanted to read uh one of the reviews actually two of the reviews that are on amazon Ooh. For the yeah really so this is for the original book for captain quirk okay it has three reviews <laughs> okay one of them is five star one of them is three star and one of them is one star oh Good. So it's a full range of opinions. All right. Range, yeah. We're fair and balanced. Go for it. So the five star review uh, is written by like a friend of his. So I'm not even going to bother to read that. Okay. Here's the three star review. Um, it's titled, If Faint Praise is Damnation, and it goes on, 
then faint damnation must be praised. Although written with <laughs> marginal competence, the arguments are often specious and or circuitous. This attempted hatchet job is at the infamous pop culture icon of the infamous pop culture icon actually reveals an intelligent, thoughtful, and thoroughly tormented individual who tried to be the next Olivier but happened to wind up as a national punchline instead. How must the man feel? That is a question of any that it is a question of any importance to me actually gives Captain Quirk some value, which it would not ordinarily achieve from either a journalistic or literary point of view. And I think that kind of gets at the heart of it right there. It's an attempted hatchet job, but it actually mm -hmm. says a lot more about what a complicated person Bill is. So, you know. Um, do we know anything about the person who wrote this review, what their name is? Because they're saying no. journalistic. And I was thinking, is this someone who, you know, is a journalist? No, there's, it's an anonymous review. It just okay. Says, All right. I just thought if there was a name, maybe we would recognize it or something. No. Wow. Unfortunately not. Now, here's another um this is the one-star review, and I'm going to follow up with it. So, again, this was of the original book that was published in 1995. It says, in, it's titled, Don't Read This Book. Good title. <laughs> okay. Instead of, okay, yeah. Instead of focusing on Shatner's life and being a true autobiography, all this book does is tell us all the bad things he's done. And you know what? Most of them aren't even true. Want an example? Okay, here's one. This book claims that Shatner had a fight with Marina Sirtis, um, on the movie Generations and got most of her scenes cut from that movie without taking into account the fact that this would be totally and completely impossible for an actor to do let me tell you what Marina said about it in an interview in Star Trek Communicator she said this whole thing that appeared in the tabloid about us having a fight wasn't true I didn't even see Shatner once during the filming of the movie well they so have no scenes have together yeah they exactly. would never have been on set together exactly so the review continues, that is just one of the many lies that I discovered in this book. Of course, what do you expect when the back of this book lists tabloids like the star as one of its sources of information? <laughs> so, so that was of the original. Now, in the revised version that I just finished reading, he tells this story, but it's couched in this, um, like tabloids reported that Shatner had Marina Sirtis's things cut and that they had a big argument on the set and then he goes on to correct it and say but actually it was all made up and you know in an, in an interview it was like that he took what was written in this person's review on Amazon and put it in the book and said wow. Marina Sirtis said in an interview in Star Trek Communicator that the whole thing appeared in the tabloids about us having a fight wasn't true it was like oh so he read the review and then realized he had to go back and correct it because it was it was a lie so that was very strange. Very, very strange. Um, um, are there any reviews of the new one? There are not, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I know. I was really hoping that there was going to be something. Um, boy, does he have a lot of alchemy books for sale. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> it's so funny. So I want, without getting too deeply into it, because there's a lot that I could talk about in this book. Um, and it's kind of not worth it but the <laughs> but the, it's our job i know it is somebody our job. has to do it <laughs> some of the things are just wrong so i mm -hmm. want to talk about a few of the things that are wrong but the thing that that is hilarious and and i'm sure that this all comes from the 1995 version is that his kind of underlying thesis to this was that bill had an extraterrestrial experience in the desert, right? And mm -hmm. I think we talked about this before. He crashed his motorcycle and he thought yes. he saw a UFO and like that. And then, you know, like he was 
at the time making a pretty big deal out of it because I think he sensed he could get some interesting publicity. And then mm-hmm. later on, he really downplayed it. It was like, well, actually, you know, yeah, I crashed yeah. it, but I didn't see a UFO. Mm-hmm. So every time he, the author, writes about Bill doing anything that's remotely connected to the desert, he always couches it as, you know, um, b- they were filming Generations out in the middle of the Mojave Desert, which was the place where William Shatner had a close encounter. It's like every every 10 pages this comes oh, up. Oh, God. It's really bad. And then further, he goes on to say that the album called The Transformed Man, um, the recording was Shatner's attempt to express his feelings about his strange experience in the desert. Like, he just will not let this go. In his opinion, anytime Bill says anything about... Um, aliens or space travel or anything about the transform man it's all connected back to this experience that he had with a ufo and i think that that's not true at all wow <laughs> isn't that like a weird thing to hang your book on <laughs> yeah well we're talking about a guy who writes about alchemy yeah it's so strange and then there'll be sentences like this Shatner has had a lifelong interest in psychics and consults them to this day. Oh, bullshit. Citation Bill thinks all that stuff is woo-woo. Yeah. Like, how could you write that and not correct it? Now, again, that might have been from the 1995 version of this book, but he certainly hasn't corrected it. He repeats that several times throughout here. Oh, God. No, that's that's totally not true. Um, Here's the thing that's just plain, like, fact-checking wrong. Um, (laughs) And really, it is... um, there's a whole chapter, oh my God, it goes on and on about how Roddenberry was doing research on these aliens called the Nine who were supposedly in communication with psychic children to try to guide our development as humans or some bullshit like that. Uh-huh. And it just goes on and on. And it was It's really, really clear that there were these psychic researchers who contacted Gene Roddenberry and they're like, you write science fiction. Can we fly you around to these different places in the world to meet these psychic children and we'll pay for the hotels and the drinks and the food and everything. Would you like to do that? Yeah. <laughs> and Roddenberry was like, yep, sign me up. That Hell yeah. Good. <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, let's see. So at one point, um, Roddenberry has is having a, a what is this? I'll read it. Other communications with the nine, which is always capitalized, were channeled through <laughs> Uri Geller or a trans medium. Oh named, no! Um, I know, right? A trans medium named Phyllis uh, Schlemmer. In one session, as reported by one of Roddenberry's biographer. Um, Gene asked the Nine how he could be certain that they were not using him to implement some evil scheme. Um, And then it goes on. All of the Schlemmer communications were recorded on audio tape. In later sessions, the Nine informed Roddenberry of his past lives as, ready? Mm -hmm. The grandson of Moses and the father of Peter the Apostle. You know, everybody in a past life was somebody famous. I know. And they were always kings and queens and... You know, nobody was, you know, a scullery maid. Yeah, yeah, or a barber or, you know, know, whatever. Foot soldier. Foot soldier. No, none of those things. None of those things. And the author goes on to say that, um, you know, all of this stuff about the nine was manifested and everything Roddenberry wrote after that, including (sighs) the fact that there was a series called 
Deep Space Nine. Nine. That. Ex- explain Ooh. that, skeptics. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there are some things in here, again, um, like here's a sentence. There is no doubt in my mind that Shatner thought he was one of a select group of Earthlings who were being, paired, being prepared for the aliens to contact us. I don't think that's true. Mm-mm. I don't think Bill ever thought that. Um, he says that Shatner showcased his Shakespearean talents in an episode of TOS entitled The Conscience of a King. No, he didn't. No. <laughs> he didn't do any Shakespearean acting in that one. The other guy was the Shakespeare guy. Yep. Um, oh, he says in Conscience, in um, uh, City on the Edge of Forever, it was one of the first times that a character was allowed to swear on television. And Kirk says, go to hell. No, he doesn't. That's no. Oh, my all. God. <laughs> Oh, my God. Like, where did you get that from, buddy? That's not in the episode. Did you not really watch it? Yeah. No. Is that what he told the Guardian of Forever? Oh, <laughs> Go to hell, Guardian. Really? <laughs> so here, now here's the thing, and I'm sure this came from a fan magazine, and I don't oh, think goody. it's true, but I need to ask you about it because it's so ridiculous. Okay. All right. So he writes about the practical jokes on the set. Ha ha. <laughs> um, so... In order to stop them having to to roll down to the commissary for every meal, it says, Shatner brought in a safari grill and started preparing lunches for Nimoy and Kelly in a storage lot just behind the soundstage. That way, their lunch periods were much more relaxing and a lot less competitive. The portable cooker used rolled-up newspapers for fuel, and Shatner became proficient at cooking quick meals. Their favorites were Vulcan veal sandwiches and cheese-filled space burgers. Okay. That's a lie, right? That's not true. Well, let's ignore the Vulcan and, and space burgers. <laughs> um, I have seen those photos of them enjoying barbecue Yeah. in costume and everything. And the way I heard it, I don't know if this was Bill's grill or anything, but uh, I heard that the studio shut it down pretty quickly because of safety issues. Yeah. Yes, I heard that too. And okay. the whole thing, the thing with them eating the barbecue, I, I think that was like a special occasion. Somebody had made it and brought it to the set. It wasn't like a regular thing. It, and it was a photo shoot. So they were just like, oh, ha, 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 won't this be funny? We'll have barbecue in our Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I never. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm uh, doing the Picard face palm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So then, here, you'll enjoy this. He claims that, um, so the, the famous $10,000 pyramid episode, that mm-hmm. um, the reason Bill failed at the end and got mad and threw his chair uh, is because, let me read this because it doesn't really make a lot of bit of sense here. Let's see. Um, Shatner was taping five segments of the $10,000 Pyramid in New York. He had just concluded a long interview in his dressing room with some guy regarding the UFO experience in the Mojave Desert eight years earlier. Well, like, oh, yeah, yeah, she yeah. She that in. Shatner, at this point, is still thinking about the interview when he walks on stage. Citation How do you know what he's thinking? <laughs> okay. Okay, okay, yeah, let yeah. it go, let it go. <laughs> He seems a little tired, a little preoccupied, but finally he and his contestant partner win a chance at the $10,000 pyramid. Shatner is able to come up with the correct answers right up until the very last question. He looks over at the MC's podium with its golden pyramid, that powerful symbol of cosmic knowledge, and becomes distracted for a moment, perhaps considering larger questions. 
Suddenly, he snaps back to the present moment, but fumbles an answer, saying only part of the right word. Appalled that he has lost, that he knew the answer but could not get it out, he jumps to his feet and looks as if he is about to explode. He has failed at his only chance at the pyramid. So that's why he failed, was because it was a pyramid, and pyramids oh. are knowledge or from aliens or something. Okay, okay. I've so. watched that several times, despite mm-hmm. the orange shag carpeting. <laughs> that gives you a headache. Um First of all, it wasn't Bill trying to get the answers. He was, you know, the way Pyramid worked mm-hmm. was they'd give you a topic like things that are green. And so you would say to your partner, and this is Bill, Kermit the Frog, asparagus. And then they would go, things that are green. Yes, ding. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he wasn't having to come up with answers. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. And the, the reason, the last one, which I think is a very strange topic, was things uh, the Blessed Mother says, or would oh, was say. was that what it was? Okay. And he accidentally, not intentionally is what I'm saying, used the word blessed in a clue. Oh, okay. Thank you for reminding me because I had forgotten about oh, that. Oh, yep. I don't know why that sticks with me in great detail. But I do love, you know, he threw the chair and everything. When they came back from commercial or the next day when they talked about it, and they showed mm-hmm. it again, of course, um, he says, it's not that I, he, it was similar. It's not that I mind losing. And <laughs> Leonard and the entire audience laughs their head off, you know. And then he goes, but to lose like that (laughs) you know by making such a stupid error yep yep that must have been the worst yes so that's what happened i have no idea if he was thinking about ufos and golden pyramids (laughs) and the nine hard to say right like you you wouldn't you wouldn't know um Oh my so, God, this guy is, oh, I know, he's full of shit. So <laughs> I, I don't want to spend too much longer on this because I don't want people to get bored. But um, I will, there were a couple other things that, that bothered me a lot. And here's one of them. So um, talking about, uh, let's see, the cast and trying to bring them back for uh, the movie, the first movie. Mm-hmm. Here's what he says. Um it took time, but Star Trek's creator finally convinced the studio to bring back Shatner in the original cast. Except for Leonard Nimoy, all the former cast signed up within a few weeks, including DeForest Kelly, Jimmy Dewan, Nichelle Nichols, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. They all agreed to reprise their roles. Even Grace Lee Whitney, who was banned from Star Trek a decade earlier for promiscuity on the set, returned <gasps> as the captain's yeoman. She that, should sue that bastard. That is straight up libel right there and yeah. I felt very bad for her like that that is not okay that no. is no okay oh my god so that was made me angry and upset um you know as much as she wasn't the most fun person to be at cons and stuff that yeah. is not true that is absolutely not true wow yeah so that was bad um another fact check thing he says that um in the, the movie, the first Star Trek movie, that Matt Decker is the grandson of Commodore Decker, which he's not, right? He's his son. He's the son, yeah. Yeah, so he says grandson. That's just wrong. Um, here's a, a story that I think is not true, which is when they're filming Star Trek V. Mm-hmm. Um, hold on a minute. Uh, <laughs> to complicate matters further, 
ever since his close encounter with a UFO something <laughs> in the desert work- in the desert something about working in the dry heat of the Mojave Desert really bothered Shatner he was on edge all the time he was there once while directing a scene he got so worked up he stumbled over a large rock and fell to the ground the force of the fall flung his hairpiece across the set and as the mortified director got back to his feet a group of extras in the scene started laughing out loud shatner fired them all on the spot with no further discussion i don't think that happened you know what i have okay i'm Obviously, I've erased it from my mind if that was in the original book, but I have never heard that. I've never heard in that In all the discussions of Shatner's Dupay, and I'm not saying every discussion is fact-based <laughs> or that everything on the web is true, but uh, you don't see that being reported over at Shatner's Dupay. No, they never said that. I've never read that anywhere. And, I mean, I couldn't, you know, like that Bill would have his hairpiece so loosely attached it could fall like fly off his head from tripping. Yeah. No, that's no, definitely not. Hairpieces okay. don't work like that. No, exactly. <laughs> um, here's another offensive thing, really offensive. Um, and this was about Kim Cattrall. And mm-hmm. this is about the um, the horrible mind meld in six. Mm-hmm. Um she started developing a real affinity for Leonard. The two spent a good deal of time together trying to develop the very special relationship between their characters. The result was the groundbreaking scene in which Spock performs a mind meld with Valeris. Okay, next okay. sentence. It is an extremely erotic scene and depicts a mental rape of the Vulcan woman. A lot of people feel that way. That it's erotic? Uh, well... I do remember when I saw it, her responses were sexual. I mean, they the, were... the noises she was making. But if it's a rape, it's not erotic. Yeah, exactly. This is oh, what I okay. mean. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I agree. I agree with what's happening, and that's why I don't like that scene. I um, see, I see what you're saying because I was thinking, well, yeah, there has been tons of discussion of the mind rape. Yeah, I so, mean, people yes. call it that. I, I didn't. Um, I agree that that's what that scene portrays. I do not agree in any way, shape, or form that it, you could perceive it as erotic. I don't think right. it's meant to be erotic, and I don't think any normal person would perceive it that way. So that um, No, me. I'm going to argue with you there. Really? Well, look at... Okay, this is something that, that upset me just a couple days ago, a headline. Or um, it said... Uh, Harvey Weinstein is turning himself over to the police on allegations of misconduct. Oh, yes, I saw that. I saw your post about that. Yeah. I was furious. I was very mm-hmm. furious because it's this whole thing about trivializing and diminishing. Mm-hmm. And I, God, somebody told me when they were in the theater and they saw that scene, which stunned a lot of people into silence, maybe because it was a rape, maybe because they didn't know where things were going, you know, what what was he going to learn from her? But somebody yelled out, a guy, do her, Spock. Oh, God. Oh. Uh, so I, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, I, I think it's irresponsible of this particular author to use that phrase here it is it is but if that's from certainly the 96 novel Mm -hmm. at that time that was probably not even a uh, remarkable or questionable sentence this is true yeah i you're right i I mean it's sad but it is true 
Well, let me let me soften that a little bit by reading you another sentence um, okay. where, they're, where they're filming the um, the generation's death scene for Kirk. And mm-hmm. Bill, Bill was talking about how it was uh, it was kind of dangerous because there was a lot of loose rock. I've read him talking about that mm-hmm. before. Once again, most of the filming took place in remote desert locations, not unlike the Mojave Desert terrain where Shatner's <laughs> UFO encounter had taken place. Okay. This is going to replace his ship that he loves like a woman. Did it happen in the Mojave Desert where he met the aliens? I like that. And I think we should continue to do that because that's very funny. Okay. Um, (laughs) He refers to Sandra Marshak and Myrna Colbreth, who wrote um, the the book. Yes, We're No Man. We're No Man as his official biographers. Who referred to them as that? Shatner or this guy? The author of this book, he calls them Bill's official biographers. I think Bill would have something to say about that. I think he would, yeah. Um, He calls Arlene Martell uh, Tasha Martell. That's not her name. Her name is Arlene. Um, Let's see. And then this, this bothered me a little bit, too. When he's talking, there's a whole chapter in here, by the way, about Mm -hmm. um, Bill and women and all of the women that he had affairs with. And there wasn't much that was too surprising in there, I have to Mm -hmm. say. Um, But he does use this particular sentence, which I didn't like. And he says, Shatner's sexual appetite became increasingly predatory during the Star Trek years. Wow. I don't think that's true. I, I think predatory is a really bad word, especially... It's a, a really loaded word. It's a really loaded word. And, yeah. you know, I I agree that when he was on Star Trek, he hit on, I'm sure, every single female guest star mm-hmm. who was on that show. But I also think when they said no, he backed off. Yeah. I don't think he was predatory in the way of trying to, like, coerce women into having sex because there were so many women who were like, sure. Sure, me, me. Yeah, me. you know, because um, as you know, and I know you share this um, interest, I'm always interested in Bill's sexual life and Bill as a lover. Mm-hmm. And I have never heard anybody say, and he wouldn't give up. Mm-hmm. You know, he just kept coming after me. I agree. Um, I, I know that, well, in this book anyway, there are some things from uh, Kirstie Alley and mm-hmm. uh, somebody else saying that he was a real pain on the set because, you know, he would he would be not handsy. He wasn't handsy. He wasn't like trying to mm-hmm. grope them or anything, but, you know, overly flirtatious, mm-hmm. let's say, but not in, in a, you know, an awful way, just in a like, oh, Bill, get away from me kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um and I believe that. I believe yeah. that's true. But I wouldn't call that, you know, predatory. Not in any way. Yeah. Um, so uh, here's where the book gets really dated. So getting near the end, um, he says, uh, he talks about how Bill had a hard time going out in public for a long time because, you know, people saw him. They'd mob him and try to get mm-hmm. his clothes. Mob scenes like that one are reason are the reason why Shatner rarely attends Trek conventions. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, when did you write this book? Um, and then he goes on to this long description about how Bill's a terrible interview and he rarely gives interviews and he's very combative and he never, you know, responds. And it's like, uh, no, whoa! I don't know what you're talking about. And yeah. So, as like I said, I think as the book, as he was finishing up this book, he started slotting in all this stuff, but he never went back and revised any of the text 
that was all completely outdated, including a section about Bill's daughters where he gives their ages incorrectly based oh. on the 1995 book. Oh, you my know. God. Yeah, it's like, okay. Um, you know, um, I'm surprised, except I don't think this guy would put in the effort. But but tell me, maybe I'm wrong, that he didn't interview Peter Shatner? He did not. Peter <gasps> Shatner is not mentioned in this oh, book. Wow. Yeah, he that seems like a missed opportunity. <laughs> Definitely a missed opportunity there. Um, now, here's a thing that I needed to ask you about, because, again, I never read this before, and I think mm-hmm. it's made up. And I feel like it came from Shatner's toupee, and this guy read it and thought that it was real. So okay. you tell me, okay? Okay. Um, at one point, Shatner was spending over $2,000 a month to keep his hair weave looking fresh. There's no time given on this, so I don't know if he means now or in 1995. I don't know, whatever. I believe that. Um, In one Hollywood poll, Shatner tied with Sean Connery at the top of a list of actors who do their best job of hiding their chrome domes. Shatner did such a good job that he started receiving requests for, quote, hair grants. Dozens of financially strapped bald men have asked him for anywhere between $500 and $10,000 to buy wigs or start expensive hair treatments. Yet, despite Shatner's active participation in several other charities, the requests have all been denied. (laughs) This is a charity? Doesn't that sound like something that they wrote at Shatner's toupee as a joke? And then this guy... Well, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't don't think that's true. (laughs) (laughs) I really don't think that's true. Well, and I can't believe that he, he tied with Sean Connery, considering, you know, as guys who whose toupees look so fabulous, because yeah. considering some of the stuff he's worn. Oh, my God. Just, yeah. Okay. Um, okay, I'm coming to the end. I promise I'm going to wrap this up in a minute. Um, there's a whole chapter about uh, why Bill is the way he is because of his star sign, which is all bullshit. Um <laughs> And then we get to the end where it's like a reflection on him and Captain Kirk. Um, and it talks about how hard it was for him to film the death of Kirk. And I, I think we've talked about that because he's yes. written about it quite a lot. Yes, in, he's spoken in, about that. Yeah. Um, in one scene while filming Star Trek Generations, Kirk was facing death in the 110 degree heat of an ancient seabed desert. It was very similar to the spot where 27 years <laughs> oh, earlier. No, um, no, no, no. And it reminded him of what he had experienced, of what he had experienced a close encounter with the UFO. What had Shatner seen? At this point in time, it is very difficult to say for sure. Okay, that's all bullshit. Um, so let me go. Last one, I promise. Okay. Um, Okay, you're going to like this a lot. Okay. Now, he's describing that scene as as Kirk dying. As we all remember, um, you know, stuff falls on him. And mm-hmm. then uh, Patrick Stewart comes over and sort of cradles him. And, and Kirk says, it was fun. And then he gasps, gasps and unscripted, oh my. That final exclamation was not planned. It was Shatner's response to what he saw in the clouds high above him. Just before he took his last breath as Kirk, Shatner gazed past the cameraman into the sky like a dying man taking his last look at the world around him. Well, yeah, that's what he was portraying as the character. Right, but um, he, I don't think he was looking at the cameraman. Um, there, <laughs> high, there, high in the heavens, hovering without making a sound, was a silvery UFO. Oh, Kirk, oh, oh. To Kirk... It might have been his last glimpse of the orbiting Enterprise or his first glimpse of the afterlife. To Shatner, as he described it later, 
The UFO might have been a distant jumbo jet cruising silently through the clouds, or it might have been that tambourine-shaped flying saucer finally come to take him to meet God. It's shaped like a tambourine. <laughs> I, I, so none of that happened. That's No, that's no. Not... Oh, my God. <laughs> so there you go, folks. That's the quality of the book that I just read for several days. And so if you want to subject yourself to that, it's for free on Kindle Unlimited if you really, really want to read it. Um, there's a lot. I want of... to point out to everybody, though, yeah. Lena read this. So you don't have to. <laughs> this is true. The sex stuff is pretty fun. There's a lot of quotes <laughs> well, it's in it. Sex well, and it it's is Bill. because it's, it's filled with the quotes from the the woman who was his mistress for five years. What, what yes, Vera Vera Montez, and and how she's like gushing about what a good lover he is, which is yes. entertaining. So that's yes, good. that's good. Um, you know, it's kind of painful to read about how his marriages broke up and how unfaithful he was to mm-hmm. Gloria and to Marcy and. You know, that seemed really terrible and painful. And the the writing about it is not very sympathetic. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Mm-hmm. And there's, as I said, there's a lot of stuff about what an ass he could be on set. And I know some of that is strictly from the point of view of the other actors. So take that with a grain of salt, as you mm-hmm. will. There's an awful lot of body shaming in here, which I don't like very much. Oh, no. You know, just really focusing on when Bill would gain a lot of weight and, and how it made him look and how bad his toupee looked. And, <sighs> you know, just like, mm, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's really mm-hmm. uncomfortable. So there you go. That's the transformed <sighs> man by our good friend, uh, Dennis Hawk or Hawk or however he says it, Mr. Well, Alchemy. We'll Mr. Alchemy. Mr. I, I knew a girl in high school who, that was her last name. And it was spelled like that. And she pronounced it. Hauk. Hauk. Okay. Yeah. I I don't know. But you know, don't rely on me or on stories like that. Because later when I was in college, there was a professor and another student whose last names were spelled in the exact same way. Mm-hmm. But he pronounced his Macaulay and <laughs> she pronounced it McKelvey. Oh, uh, well... People will do that, and they're mm-hmm. allowed to pronounce their names the way they want to. So I'm that's right. With that. Just tell me, tell me how you want me to say it, and I'll say it. I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Before we close this show, I just want to mention that um, I, I loved the little Facebook post that I sent you. That um, the all of the uh, people from Asgard should really be talking like <laughs> Minnesotans, including like Thor and Loki. And yes! I thought Marjor- Marjorie would fit right in with all those people at Asgard. I think she'd be right at home. Oh, I could yeah. see her talking to Odin and talking about hot dish and stuff. It would be yeah, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have to tell you, my sister and I are still laughing about your comment of uh, Soul God of Thunder, eh? <laughs> Exactly. Someone on on Twitter, I think, had written a little dialogue between Thor and Loki. And Thor yes, said, yes. Oh, geez, I'm gonna need you to hand over that tesseract there, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> old cheese and crackers. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Yep. Very, very oh. funny. All right. Well, that's a lot. That's a very long show. Sorry it turned out to be so long. But, hey, we had a lot to talk about. We had a lot of things. We do. So now apparently we have a whole nother show that's uh, got stuff to talk about. So we'll be doing that. And mm-hmm. um, there's some stuff on TV that we're going to watch. I put some things on the Facebook uh, for you guys. And one of them is a show that's on Netflix right now about toys. 
And oh, I want to see that. Yeah, there's a whole episode devoted to the Star Trek toys. So everybody should go and watch that. And I think we will try to watch it and talk about that next time. Yes, yes. That'd be good. Yeah. So uh, thank you all for being our listeners. We love you all so very, very much. Send us news and tips and all kinds of things. Come see us on Facebook. And, um, you know, stay in touch because we want to hear from you. Yeah. Yeah. And until next time, y'all, live long and potluck. Yeah, you betcha. 